This episode of Market Foolery is brought to you by Thumbtack. Thumbtack.com provides a fast and easy way to find and hire skilled local professionals. Go to Thumbtack.com to find pros for everything from home improvement to event planning to personal wellness and more. That's Thumbtack.com. It's Wednesday, February 8th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today, investor at large, Tim Hansen. Thanks for being here. My pleasure. We've got earnings, we've got Zillow, we've got Panera Bread. Jason Moser and I were talking the other day about uh, Snap's S1 filing to go public. Mm-hmm. Curious to get your thoughts on that because it's, it's entertaining reading. It is, it is entertaining. It's a page turner. <laughs> is it really a page turner though? I, it keeps your interest. It, okay, it has some highlights. Uh, we got to start with Walt Disney though. First quarter profits came in higher than expected. Revenue overall revenue was light, and I mean, you look at the different divisions for Disney and. Parks and resorts looked pretty good. Yeah, pretty much every other division was down, and I know that ESPN has been the narrative for for Disney and the falling subscribership there. But just on a percentage basis, the consumer products division down about down more than twenty percent. I know I know that it doesn't bring in as much money, but it. It had a tough comp, and so did the studios. Yeah, they were rolling over some really tough comps. I think you know there was Star Wars was was last year. You know the good Star Wars, not Rogue, Rogue One. You didn't like Rogue One? Ah, uh, you know it didn't didn't quite live up to the. It only made a billion. Well, that's I mean that's the thing that's incredible to call out is that they can the value of that franchise is so significant that you can roll out a pretty pedestrian movie by all critical standards and it still makes you know money hand over fist. So as you're like an analyst playing that forward for Disney, there's reason to be. Optimistic, you know the idea that they can be. I think the revenue in um, movies was uh, flat, basically, which yeah. rolling off that comp is amazing. Like if you can have a year that includes Frozen and Star Wars and be flat, that's a pretty good result. Yes, um, and they did a really nice job um, maintaining profitability in all the different divisions. You called out Parks and Resorts; that continues to be a monster. Um, you know, revenue was up for the year five six percent. Um, Profitability was up near 20%. I mean, the return on the assets that they're building um, continues to demonstrate that they should continue to invest in those in those resorts, the cruise lines, that sort of thing. So, um, the market was a little confused about it. It was down, stock was down, then it was up. Um, obviously, the people who are bearish on Disney continue to point out to the broadcast and ESPN businesses not doing as well. Um, and you know, as viewers go down, they're probably going to give up some margin there because advertisers won't pay as much. You know, having said that, they still have access to a lot of content that's they can use in other ways and go over the top, that sort of thing. Um, but the quality of the different franchises there is incredible. They continue to create new ones. I think, you know, at the valuation today, Disney's not, you know, some crazy twenty percent returner, but it, it should give you market average or slightly above average returns for a pretty long time. It's very high quality. And CEO Bob Iger confirmed on the conference call and in an interview after that what had been reported earlier in the week, which is that he has left the door open to staying longer. He is due to step down as CEO in June of 2018. And one of the comments he made was, I know a lot of people are curious about this. We have a strong succession plan. He used that phrase a couple of times. We have a strong succession plan in place. And as a shareholder, my reaction to that is, you better. Because they, they and I said this the other day, even though he's going to be in the corner office for another 16 months, I feel like he's basically got six to eight months before he names someone else. And for all the great things he has done at that business, mm-hmm. I think it's fair that you can say the one strike against Bob Iger is that 
he swung and missed at naming a successor. He had Tom Staggs, the chief operating mm-hmm. officer, who was in place and widely acknowledged, this is the next CEO. And then a year later, he was gone. I mean, the only the only challenge to that, and I concede the point, is like how how smart do you need to be to run Disney? I mean, yeah, it's a big company, right? Highly complex. But I mean, I couldn't even screw up Frozen. I mean, that thing's a, that thing's a juggernaut. You're saying just get out of everyone's way. I mean, get you know Elsa and Anna, long runway. John Lasseter overseeing Pixar and Disney Animation. I mean, that guy. You just do what you do. That guy. I'm not going to mess with you. Brilliant. Just a brilliant guy. Um, when you, although to be fair, it takes a smart guy to get out of a brilliant guy's way sometimes, right? Well, that's true, and I think I think that that's you know that's the the counter to your counter is that the counter counter the counter counter <laughs> is that Bob Iger is is going to leave behind a phenomenal track record, mm-hmm. and we've seen this with other CEOs that that we've studied and admired here at the Motley Fool. Jim Sinegal at Costco, mm-hmm. an amazing three decade run there. And he hands the reins over to Craig Jelinek, and by all accounts, that mm-hmm. that is going well. Um, obviously, you, you don't replace someone like Steve Jobs, but Tim Cook, with his operational brilliance, has done a great job I there. Think the jury's still out on that one, but that, I, we can maybe talk about it in five years. Okay, yeah, I, I mean, he, he's gotten a pretty good grade at this point. Yeah, again, I mean, how do you screw up the iPhone? <laughs> I mean, but the question is, what are they going to do next? Right? That's. And that's where the challenge. I think the first real challenge of his tenure is going to come in. And I think that's. I think that's it for whoever is next after Iger. Mm-hmm. Is that you look at the acquisitions he's made and how well those have done. And I think fairly or unfairly, whoever's the next CEO, I think those types of questions are going to come to that person. Like, well, okay, well, what are you going to buy? It's fair. I mean, it's a fair point. You know, I think as long as they put a highly qualified person um, in charge. Uh, someone who knows the business well and has has been given the opportunity to transition, and then as long as you know previous management, you know one thing that often undoes new management teams is meddling by the old management team. So I mean that was famously what Howard Schultz did at Starbucks, for example, by um, his own admission. Yeah, yeah, you know at Starbucks is one of those things that you probably could have put on autopilot, for lack of a better word. But when you, you start meddling and tinkering, and you know there's confusion at the top, I think that's when you start to see uh, poorer results. So that that's really the challenge, I think, for a really successful CEO stepping away is to have the confidence to say, you know what, I'm obsolete now, and I feel fine about that. Let's move on to Zillow. Uh, fourth quarter profits and revenue both came in higher than expected, although profits. Should probably be in air quotes since they did. It's an asterisk. <laughs> they did report a loss for the quarter and the stock down about seven percent this morning. Yeah, I mean Zillow is one of those companies where um, they like to call out non-GAAP or you know non-generally accepted accounting numbers, and then and rightfully so, they are profitable on that measure. They are unprofitable with regards to um, GAAP accounting. Um, not to get too far in the weeds, but the two costs, big costs that they throw out by doing that are um, stock. Option expense and um, amortization of their software development, which, I mean, those are real costs, especially for an internet business. Um, so on a gap basis, Zillow is losing more and more money every year, even as they forecast getting to a billion dollars in revenue next year. Credit to them, they have done a nice job of aggregating all of the a lot of real estate assets. So Trulia and some of the smaller players are all under that umbrella now. So network effects should be pretty strong. But at some point, like, I don't know, they were profitable five years ago right. with a much smaller revenue base. So Business is getting more expensive. Do you think the they are, and by they I mean anyone on Spencer Raskoff's management team, do you think any one of them are rethinking the Trulia acquisition? Because at the time, 
it was you know it was seen as woo for for a company Zillow size that's a pretty big acquisition to make. I mean, big acquisitions from a probability standpoint are more likely to not work out than to work out. But for Zillow, looking at the competitive landscape, um, I, I think in this space you had you had to consolidate to give yourself a chance going forward because that's the only way you're going to be able to charge enough premium ad rates and get enough inventory from um, or enough relationships with realtors to make the business viable from a profitability standpoint for the long term. So I mean, that's the challenge to them now is to be able to um, reap the value they think they created, and I think the jury the jury's out on that one too. Do you think? They need to come up with a big quarter in in the next couple of quarters. I'm just wondering how much how much pressure this business is under right now. I mean, from a sales perspective, I think people are fine with the trajectory. Uh, you know, like I said, I, it's an operating. Where's the operating discipline? You know, if you're making a billion dollars, why are you losing so much money? Fair question. All right, before we move on, got to say thank you to our friends at Thumbtack.com. Thumbtack makes it easy to find and hire skilled local professionals for any project on your to-do list, and there's no cost to search. Thumbtack has pros offering more than 1,100 different services nationwide for your home, events, or anything in between. You're handy. You're handy around the house. Kinda. There are plenty. My of- wife wouldn't agree with that. <laughs> But there are things where you're like, oh, I got this. I don't need. I don't need a professional. Yeah. But like event planning, electrician. Elec- I, I don't do electricity. You might, yeah, that's that's my thing too. Yeah. Like, no, no, I'm gonna I'm gonna hire someone to do that. And that's what you can do with Thumbtack. It's tax season. You can get a tax preparer. You got an event coming up. They'll help with that. You can find a personal trainer, a nutritionist. Could you find like a performer for a kid's birthday party? Yeah, absolutely. What? Okay. You got one coming up? Uh, no, but it's good. That's just a good arrow to have in your quiver. Here's what you do: you go to thumbtack.com, you submit your request. It's quick, simple, and free. You just answer a few questions about what you're looking for, and after you submit your request, local professionals will send you custom quotes for your project. And every quote includes their price estimate, business profile, verified customer reviews, and a personalized message. You need you need the reviews <laughs> for a kid's birthday party. Well, that's key. You don't want to have you don't want to have you know. Like you show up, that would be yeah, exactly. You, you don't entertain little kids. No, not anymore. <laughs> <laughs> not that's that's one of the benefits of your kids getting older. You don't have to entertain them. Ron Gross used Thumbtack when he was looking. I, to, I thought you were going to say Ron Gross entertains. <laughs> no, but if his guitar, if he gets better with the guitar lessons where, that he was searching for on on Thumbtack, yeah. If he gets better, maybe kids' birthday ukulele, party. Little, yeah, yeah. Earn a little bit more. Go to Thumbtack.com. Find and hire local skilled professionals for just about anything you need. That's thumbtack.com. Um, before we get to Panera's latest quarter, uh, Snap is going public. The camera company. The ca- <laughs> Let's talk about that. I don't know why they didn't just change the name from Snapchat to Snap Camera, right? Or Flipcam. <laughs> what? I, so the, one of the things I've read <clears throat> over over the past couple of days about the. Probable outcomes or possible outcomes for Snap as a public company um, seems to follow three potential trajectories. One, and this is certainly the rosiest scenario, mm-hmm. is their Facebook. They maybe not as big as Facebook, but they have they have that type of monetization strategy in them, okay. and they are able to do that. Um, another is Twitter, which goes public, and if you're, isn't Facebook and is not Facebook, uh, and the third to go back to the camera one is GoPro. And Ooh. let's let's face it. If yeah, if those are your choices, really, if you're if you're looking at this company and thinking, I'm interested. I use Snap. Uh, I I'm interested in getting in on this IPO. 
let's be clear, only one of those scenarios ends well for investors. Yeah, and I, I mean, from from Snap's perspective, I, I just don't see the likelihood that it can be Facebook. I mean, um, you know, for example, Snaps. If any, I don't know if people use Snap. Um, I don't. There, so you can go to the S one, and and they give a schematic on how to use their stuff because it is insanely complicated, and um, they have a reason, a logic for this. So there, there are two fields of design, broadly speaking, in the world: intuitive design, which is you show up on a website and you're like, oh, I know how to use this, or what they call refer to Snap as shareable design, which is like this is super hard to use, but I'll show you how to use it, and in the process of doing so, I uh, evangelize for the product. You're, I show you a cool feature. We, you know, it's a win win. So Snap, because their demographic is like teenagers and young people, um, they went with this shareable. So there are lots of like Easter eggs and tricks and tips and fun things you can do. I mean, fun. You can make. I can make you look like a cat. I don't know if that's fun, but um, but it's super hard for older people to use. And like, why is Facebook making so much money? It's because they can sell ads for that. You know, get that's, shown to wealthy older people. Right. That are targeted right to me. Yeah. I mean, Snap can do. Not some that I'm wealthy. Ex- well, but. but but I'm an older person. There you go. And and Snap is one of those things. I'm not their target market, which is good because I look at uh, my teenage daughter using Snap, and I think I'm never going to use this. Yeah. No. It's um, you know if you're not like I said, you can go through the S1 and get a sense for how complicated and weird the whole thing is. Now it's taken off among a certain demographic, but does it scale outside of it? I, I don't know. Um, and by the way, like uh, reportedly. Um, They've signed a five-year deal with Google to pay them $400 million a year just to host Snap on Google Cloud, which, oh, by the way, is their revenue this year. So, you've got to be, you know, it's a big cost. I mean, literally, if you want to make money off Snap, you should buy Google. (laughs) But it's a quirky file. They have all sorts of weird stuff in that filing. Well, and you... Kudos for them from writing in a very conversational way. I mean, it is is kind of an interesting read. Like, if you haven't read a lot of financial documents, it's actually one of the more accessible ones. You've made this point before in this studio, and others have as well, which is the thing that investors need to remember about any company that is filing to go public, is that the S-1 filing is literally their single best chance to make their numbers look as good as they can. Yeah. So, just keep that in mind. If you're interested in Snap, just keep that in mind. Oh, yeah. They probably spent the last 24 months making sure that what you're seeing right in there was the best foot forward they could put, because if it wasn't, they wouldn't go public. Shares of Panera Bread are hitting a new all-time high after fourth-quarter profits came in six percent higher than last year, and there there are a couple of things I found interesting about this latest quarter. Probably chief among them is that nearly a quarter of their sales are coming through digital channels. That I did I didn't go into this quarter with a number in mind, but that was higher than whatever I was expecting. It's industry leading. I mean, it's an, it's becoming an industry standard, and and that's why they've been able to buck the trend of the disappointing results at almost every other restaurant. So like Buffalo Wild Wings, bad results. Chipotle, bad results. And one reason is cost of labor, and cost of food continues to go up um, by going to digital. And you know this is the CEO Ron. I think Shake is how you Ron pronounce his, his last name. Um, you know, he championed this Panera 2.0 initiative a couple of years ago, and it looked kind of like a weird flop for a little while. But then this quarter, you're starting to see um, why it's improving performance. So you're getting lots of convenient sales to customers with lower cost of labor because you don't need as many people staffing right. it. Um, and so, you know, the analyst reports reacting to these earnings like, wow, they've really set themselves up nicely for next year and, so, and, and going forward because they're in a different position from the other industry operators. Uh, you know, my own take. 
you know, this is a business model that if it works, other people can copy it. It'll take them a while, but they can do it. So, it, you know, the benefits they're reaping should revert to the mean. And then the other thing with Panera, and this is hearsay, my own personal opinion, but frankly, I don't think the food, like, is that good? <laughs> really? Well, it, you know, they shrink Porsche. I don't know. I've, I've always thought it's a little gimmicky. And um, ultimately, if you're a restaurant business, people need to evangelize for your food. So, We'll see. We'll see how it goes. I mean, it's it's a pricey. It's all. It's I think it's at an all time high now. Yes. Um, they've obviously done some good things, but I probably wouldn't wouldn't be an owner of it today. One thing that I I think is, um, if not a point of concern with this business, is certainly a question for the business. You look at the disparity in the same store sales, which mm. are so crucial for restaurants, and for company owned locations, up three percent. Yep. You know that not that's not. Knocking the cover off the ball, but that's certainly good and respectable and all that. Franchise owned nearly one and a half percent negative. Well, that they didn't do Panera 2.0 at any franchises, so I mean that's why the CEO is taking this victory lap. He's like, look, I believed in it, I invested in it, and it's yielding these positive results. And now that it has, you can easily see us scaling it to all these other restaurants, and we should expect additional positive effects. So that's a reason to be to be optimistic. You know, I think. I mean, that's why I think what's interesting is like that discrepancy. Sure, yeah, you can roll out the new business model to those struggling stores, but why are those stores, you know, why is a gimmicky business model, that's not gimmicky, why is digital ordering, which anybody can do eventually, if that's the only thing that's differentiating you from your competition, you're going to revert to the mean and you're going to go back to being, you know, what Panera, you know, just a, you know, plain vanilla sandwich place. Although, in Starbucks' most recent, oh, I should have said a white bread sandwich. <laughs> in in Starbucks' most recent quarter, one of the things they talked about was uh, sort of the problems they were having with throughput. Oh, like, well, they yeah. were they were getting the digital orders, but they weren't getting people out the door. Yeah, well, I mean, Starbucks, I think, still has some work to do with regards to fulfillment of those digital. Because I mean, I've I've gone into some Starbucks and there's like a pile of stuff sitting on the end of the bar for people right. to come pick up. And obviously, coffee, one of those things, better hot, right? Um, better hot or iced. Yeah. Like the lukewarm? No. So, you know, I don't know. I don't know. I didn't look too closely at the Starbucks results, so I'm probably over my, my skis here. But, you know, if somebody comes in and their drink's watered down or their drink is cold, if we're going to ask for another one, they end up throwing that out. That hits your margin. I think Starbucks will get it right, though. They're, historically, they've been better than average operators, which you can't always have said about Panera. You're... Uh you're someone who knows a lot about food. What's a, what's an underrated soup? You know, I um, I got this recipe out of Food and Wine a couple months ago. It's a uh, pork and tomatillo stew, chock full of vegetables. Kids love it. It's delicious. Really? Yeah. Can I get that? I'll get. I'll send that to you. Okay. <laughs> Tim Hanson, thanks for being here. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.